When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. Here's why you should tune in to today's show. Crypto turmoil gets worse as Genesis is reportedly contemplating filing Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection. Crypto bank Silvergate gets hammered amidst what it calls a crisis in confidence. And Alex Mashinsky, the man at the center of one of last year's biggest crypto collapses, is being sued by the New York State Attorney General. I'll discuss this and more live with Jim Bianco. I'm Ash Bennington. Let's jump in to the latest price action. Given the news flow, you might be forgiven for expecting a carnage in crypto prices. However, that's not what's happening. Bitcoin has practically not budged since this time 24 hours ago. Bitcoin is slightly and down and currently trading around $16,800. That's pretty much the same price we reported yesterday. We've been in this very narrow trading band now for at least the past month or so. We're being uh, seeing a slightly bigger move here on the Ethereum side. ETH is up 1% over the past 24 hours. ETH trading now around $1,250. We're also keeping an eye on tokens linked to Justin Sun. Tron is one of the biggest losers today among the major cryptocurrencies in an otherwise calm market. And the Tron-linked stablecoin USDD is down $0.03 cents on the dollar, which means it's depegged even further. This comes as the Huabi exchange, where Sun is an advisor, is suffering big outflows and has reportedly laid off 20% of its workforce. Before I introduce our guest, Jim Bianco, for those of us watching on the Real Vision website, thank you. If you haven't signed up there yet, check it out on realvision.com forward slash crypto. That's realvision.com forward slash crypto. That's the best way to get early access to Real Vision crypto content. If you're watching on YouTube, please like and subscribe and hit the notification bell. With that said, let's bring in Jim Bianco, president of Bianco Research and a Real Vision macro luminary. Welcome back to Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing, Jim. Always a pleasure to have you on the show. Happy New Year. This is our first time doing RVCDB together, and we couldn't have picked a better day to have you here. Well, thank you, Ash. And it seems like we should rename it to, you know, the crypto police blotter, because that seems to be where all the news is lately um, in the crypto space. Jim, you know, with that said, let me just introduce the the, the top story of the day, uh, because it sort of as you allude to there, it's not a happy one. Uh, the situation at a significant cog in the crypto industry machinery appears to be growing even more dire. Wall Street Journal is now reporting that Glo Genesis Global Trading is considering filing Chapter 11 bankruptcy. Additionally, DCG has reported it's laid it off 30% of its staff. The journal sources say Genesis is working with investment bank Mollison Company to evaluate its options, which reportedly include, as we reported earlier, filing a Chapter 11 bankruptcy. Earlier this week, Genesis CEO, interim CEO, told its clients uh, that the company needs more time to sort out its finance. 
is uh, Genesis halted withdrawals back in November of 2022. Moreover, the difficulties appear to extend to Genesis's parent company, Digital Currency Group, or DCG, as it's often known. DCG announced it's closing its wealth management business. The information, that's the outlet reporting this, which broke the story, says HQ Digital Subsidiary had around $3.5 billion in assets under management. Uh, Jim, this is clearly... Uh, well, let's call it a, a a a gray lining on the on the horizon here, uh, with regard to what's happening in the space more broadly, and of course at DCG more specifically. What's your take on all this? How do you think about it? You know, I'm not surprised that the reaction in the market is a big thud to basically digital mark digital product tokens aren't moving at all, even though in the TradFi market with payrolls and everything else, you would expect them. If DTZ is going to file for bankruptcy, Genesis is going to file for bankruptcy. These are all the EARN programs on a lot of the centralized exchanges. Genesis, uh, Gemini EARN and a lot of others use them in the background in order to earn a lot of, uh, a lot of um, interest. If, this, if these programs are all going to be suspended, gone, go away, you're really what you're doing is you're telling everybody to leave the crypto space. Because those that traffic in centralized exchanges, most of them are going to go back to TradFi. Not, if they're on a centralized exchange today in January 23, mm. they're not ready to make the jump to a wallet and, a, and connect to a DeFi exchange. Although that's where I am, that's where you are, that's where everybody should be, I think, in, in this space moving forward. And so really what you've got is not a wholesale move that, oh, this is bad news and we're going to see 10,000 on Bitcoin and we're going to see sub-1,000 on ETH or something like that. This is, we're going to see volatility disappear in the in the crypto space. I think that's what the markets are trading by and that's what's going to happen. So here's the good news. You're not going to see 10,000 on, on uh, Bitcoin. You're not going to see sub-1,000 on ETH. Here's the bad news. A year, 18 months from now, you're going to be exactly the same price that you are right now. Uh, and there's going to be very little volatility and very little trading opportunities. That's what I think this means. It doesn't mean spectacular moves in the market. It means volatility disappears. Jim, so much to talk about. You've made so many interesting points there. Uh, first, obviously, we should point out, obviously, that DeFi has its risks as well. There's a different set of issues. Uh, but it's important, I think, to make this distinction as you have uh, and to make this point. You're talking about retail investors who are currently participating in these earn programs, who are currently in the centralized side of the digital asset space. Uh, essentially, your view is that they're just going to move back into TradFi because of some of these issues. We should probably unpack uh, some of the points that you made here just to give people a little bit uh, fuller context of what we're talking about here. So uh, Genesis essentially is a liquidity provider on the back end uh, for Gemini. I know this is confusing the name sound alike, uh, but essentially yeah. when uh, Genesis uh, halted its redemptions, Gemini was impacted, and there's now a very public feud uh, happening right now uh, between Barry Silbert, or I should say Cameron Winklevoss, uh, calling out Barry Silbert on Twitter uh, over the last couple of days and calling him out by name, not really referring to Genesis, but like beginning his email with uh, the word Barry. I mean, this has really gotten very direct. Yeah, it has. And you're right. It is very confusing because the names are similar sounding, but they're completely different companies. And basically, if you put your money into Gemini and you get into an earn program where you earn interest rate, like a 5% interest rate, how did Gemini 
get you that interest rate. Coinbase, the rest of them, even there, there was even you know some talk with the Earn program um, over at USDC Circle as well. Well, they used on the back end Genesis as their as their vehicle that they would right. take your coins, deposit it with Genesis to earn the interest to then flow back to you. If Genesis files for bankruptcy, the Gemini earned programs and stuff, it, the best case scenario is they go away. The worst case scenario is there you might be stuck as a creditor in some kind of a bankruptcy proceeding. Um, and so this is really a big, big problem because again, Think about the mindset of retail investors and even institutional investors that haven't made the jump to DeFi. And you are correct. There are there are issues with DeFi, but they're different issues than they correct, are with yeah. centralized exchanges. You know, being smart contract failure and some other things are, you know, the top of the list in, in uh, decentralized finance. But in centralized finance, if you're in these programs and if you're on these exchanges, why are you there? To earn interest and to degen around in the price. Well, the price isn't moving and the interest is at risk. What is your next option? Leave is what your next option is. Go back to TradFi. It isn't, well, let me go Let me go open up a Argent wallet or a MetaMask wallet or something like that and connect to right. Uniswap or connect to Aave and, and lend my coins out via Aave or something like that. Again, you should be doing that, but that is a bridge too far for a lot of people, which is why they're on the decentralized exchanges and why all the stuff from FTX on down is really critically hurting these centralized exchanges. Yeah. Let's unpeel the onion here another layer or two just to try and get at some of the core issues that we're talking about. One of the challenges in understanding uh, this story is the relationship uh, between the parent company, the holding company, DCG, Digital Currency Group, and then the portfolio companies which exist under it, of which uh, Genesis Trading is only but one. Uh, Coindesk, most people know uh, in the space, obviously a very large news circuit uh, outlet provider in the space, also owned by DCG. Uh, but importantly, also Grayscale Investments, uh, which uh, is the uh, is the parent company uh, that created the uh, closed end funds ETHE uh, and GBTC? That's the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust. Uh, these obviously very large funds. Ways that people got exposure uh, to the uh, digital asset space without having to custody uh, the the coins themselves. Essentially, being able to get an exchange traded product that tracked. Uh, the underlying asset. I say tracked in the past tense. Uh, I want to bring up a chart here uh, for GBTC. This is the discount to net asset value chart. Uh, and what you can see here when you look at this chart is that it's trading at a substantial discount. Discount. Essentially, you can buy these assets uh, for 55 cents on the dollar. Uh, Jim, talk a little bit about this. One of the open questions here that exists is what the degree of exposure is between the holding company and the operating companies. If there is an insolvency or a Chapter 11 bankruptcy filing uh, at Genesis, what happens to GBT? What happens to ultimately DCG, the, the holding company? What happens then to the subsidiary company, uh, Grayscale Investment? And then what happens ultimately to that exchange-traded product? I know there are a lot of hops here. I know it gets really confusing, uh, but these are some really intriguing uh, and potentially risk-inducing open questions. Yeah, and there's been some questions that the Grayscale Trusts that the assets held by the Grayscale Trust are somehow encumbered through some kind of a transaction, either a lending or a borrowing transaction uh, with Genesis, because they've both got the same parent, as you talked about, Digital Currency Group. 
that has been somewhat debunked that there isn't and that they're clear. But I also think there's another issue we haven't addressed here. Uh, Grayscale Trust has been filing with the SEC in order to get the Grayscale closed-end fund right. converted to an ETF, an exchange-traded right. fund. Now, it, you know, without getting into the difference, the closed-end fund is just a, a, a pool of assets and it trades and it could trade at a big discount or a big premium. Remember, a year and a half ago, it was trading at a massive premium to the underlying uh, net asset value. Now it's trading at a big discount. Um, if, you, if you change it to an uh, exchange-traded fund, there's almost instantaneous arbitrage. That massive discount would disappear right away. It would go right back up. You'd get a 30 40% gain in your Grayscale Trust. Um, one of the other reasons I think that the discount is staying such so big down in the 40% range is the SEC has been continually um, denying their move to convert to an ETF. Grayscale is now suing the SEC and saying that they're treating them unfair. The, there is a rule that the SEC has to treat everybody fairly. If you allow certain things and there's other similar things that you don't allow, yeah, that's kind of against the rules over at the SEC. Great, uh, Bloomberg Law, which is an adjunct of uh, the Bloomberg, is putting about a 30 or 40 percent chance that Grayscale will prevail in their lawsuit with uh, the SEC. Um, OK, you're, you know, you're, you're suing a governmental agency. And if you got a 30 or 40 percent chance of succeeding, you know, that's not too bad. Because you know the government's got unlimited resources to fight against you. You're still less than 50. Uh, you're not five. So that's what I'm trying to trying to get at. But I think that part of the reason that that discount exists is there was a, a hopium in there that they were going to be able to convert to an ETF. And not only has that been dashed, but now they're going to be fighting the SEC. And if you, they lose on this case, again, 30, 40 percent, not above 50, then the SEC's all emboldened that. Grayscale will never become an ETF unless somebody else gets to become a Bitcoin ETF. Then they have to let everybody become one according to their rules. But this will just drag this process out to becoming to converting to an ETF. And this is one of the reasons why I think that this discount is still sticking around. Yeah, and they detailed this in a, in a letter. Grayscale uh, Investment uh, detailed this in a letter, and and here it is. The options they they basically say, and I can I can just read from this. We quote: We remain confident. They're they're also so as you said, they're suing uh, in the D.C. Court of Appeals uh, to attempt to convert this from a closed end fund into uh, into into an ETF so that they can get that instantaneous arbitrage. And they say, quote, we remain confident that the D.C. Court of Appeals will agree with our strong common sense and compelling legal arguments. Uh, the reality is they've obviously had trouble convincing SEC of that. But we appreciate investor interest in what happens to GBTC if the courts do not rule in our favor, if we are not successful in our legal challenge in all applicable courts, and we conclude there is no possible legislative or regulatory clarity that would allow for the conversion of GPC, GBTC to an ETF within a reasonable time frame, we would explore other options to return a portion of GBTC's capital to shareholders. And then they they basically list these two options. 
Uh, the options would include a tender offer for a portion of the outstanding shares of GBTC. We currently expect that such a tender offer uh, would be for no more than 20% of the outstanding GBTC. But here's the interesting thing. To facilitate this, we would need to be required, uh, we would uh, we would be required to obtain two separate approvals. First, release relief from the SEC, who they are currently suing, uh, and they go on to say, from certain requirements applicable to tender offers in order to ensure that the tender offer is fair to all investors. The SEC may not provide this relief, again, currently suing them, in which case GBTC would not be able to pursue such a tender offer. And the furthermore on this is that GBTC would need uh, agreement from its shareholders to do it. Uh, and then there's the plan C. Well, there is no plan C. It's not listed in the, I mean, maybe they do have a plan C, but it's not listed in the letter. I mean, you know, this This is um, This is uh, a kind of a open-ended situation, a fluid situation. What's the proper uh, term of art to use here, Jim? I don't know. Yeah, it, it, it is. And this is, this is the problem because one, the Grayscale Trust went to a discount <clears throat> to Bitcoin there was a wave of buying underneath that, that, oh, they're going to convert to an ETF. And this will be, this is an arbitrage, right? I'm going to buy this thing at a 10, 20, 25% discount, and then they'll convert and it'll instantly go to zero discount is what it will go to. And I'll yeah. pick up that, that excess. Um, now it looks like that's not going to happen and it's ugly. And you're right. There's a lot of options with the tender and you need the SEC approval we don't know what plan C is. I'm not going to stick around and wait for it, which is that extra selling for the people that were waiting for the conversion, which is why you're down to 40%. And by the way, Ash, you thought I was kidding when I said this is crypto uh, police blotter stuff. This is basically what the industry has become post FTX, at least for right now. Hopefully someday this will end sooner, better. Yeah, and let, let's do a little bit of a, of a history here uh, on what's happened and how we got to this point, because I think it's interesting uh, to sort through. Uh, so so the crypto sell-off started in December of 2021, initially driven by some regulatory concerns, and then especially uh, for fear of rising interest rates. Uh, if you look at the, at the chart for Bitcoin uh, for early 22, it looks a lot like the chart from the NASDAQ composite. It looks a lot like the chart from the NASDAQ 100 over the same period. Uh, then in the spring of 2022, stuff gets ugly in crypto land. In May, the the entire Terra ecosystem essentially collapses. Shortly thereafter, on Friday, July 1st, the hedge fund Three Arrows Capital, often uh, called 3AC, collapsed and filed for bankruptcy. Uh, then we then we see the lend products go down. A couple weeks later, uh, you see uh, you see in mid in mid July, uh, you see um, you see Celsius uh, file for bankruptcy. You see Voyager file for bankruptcy. Uh, BlockFi file, files for bankruptcy uh, in November of 2022. Uh, uh, but but before we get ahead of the story, going back to July of 2022, uh, the largest creditor of DC of 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 Three Arrows capital of 3AC was DCG, according to the Wall Street Journal. Uh, Genesis lent between about, I think, $2.4 billion to three hours capital, as reported by the journal. Now, there's some question about how much collateral they had to that loan. Uh, there's some say that it was 50% that's been reported. Uh, DCG, I believe, in the journal article today claims that they had 80% collateral on this, but still a pretty significant uh, a, a pretty significant transfer uh, and therefore potential loss uh, over at DCG from the 3AC collapse. Yeah, um, this is, if you've had some experience in the TradFi markets like I have, the word we use is contagion. Right. Everybody is a counterparty to everybody else in the TradFi market. And that was 2008. And that's why when one person wobbles, the whole domino falls apart. In the TradFi market, the fix for that was 
15 alphabet soup regulators crisscrossing and overlapping each other to try and protect the system from having this domino effect falling. This is what you have with the centralized exchanges, with the center of the centralized exchanges being DCG or, or Genesis, whichever one you want to call it at that point. And they're all kind of cross-connected to each other. So when you pull one thread out, the Terra block system, but blockchain in, uh, in May, everything starts to unwind in the centralized world. And that's what we've been seeing. But you don't have a Fed, an FDIC, an SEC, a CFTC cross-regulating all of these to try and halt that decline. And you especially don't have a central bank trying to print or mint right. tokens to try and, and try and bail them out. So that's why we see all of this falling apart. And again, I want to emphasize, and we don't in trad, um, excuse me, in DeFi, we don't in DeFi, right. that the DeFi system continues to just work. You don't like the prices you're getting, no one does, but the system itself continues um, to work. And so this story, I don't think is going to be completely over until we start to see, you know, everybody that's been enveloped in it to start, um, you know, we, we understand the, um, the ramifications of it. And by the way, we're only beginning to see it because now it's starting to, to you know, leak out in the Silvergate and a lot of other TradFi banks that deal with, uh, with this system as well, too. So we're not done with all of this contagion. This contagion continues to expand, maybe not as quickly as it was a few months ago, but it is still expanding. Hey, everyone, we're going to take a quick pause and hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Jim, I'm so glad you brought up Silvergate. I want to talk about that in just a second. But, you know, in many ways, just a comment on the point that you made there. One of the first things you learn when you take your first economics class in college is that economics is all about trade-offs. Uh, it seems somehow uh, that, you know, every every system has its weaknesses, whether it's, as we said, uh, DeFi, the, the centralized uh, financial system that we have in TradFi, as we learned, of course, during the 2007-2008 financial crisis. But it seems in some ways uh, that the system we've got in crypto for the time being, at least for this moment, uh, is exemplified by the FTX collapse represents the worst of all possible worlds. You have a situation where the, situ the system is incredibly centralized, it's not decentralized, and yet it's totally unregulated uh, in many cases, and especially offshore. So you have this, uh, these two factors uh, kind of coming together to create uh, these significant challenges. But I want to talk here about Silvergate since you bring it up. Uh, and this is a, a story out today uh, about what's happening there. Let me just hit this. Uh, shares of crypto-friendly bank Silvergate are down heavily again today, double digits in terms of uh, the percentage uh, decline. That's after they closed 42% lower on the New York Stock Exchange yesterday. Uh, the bank has blamed a, quote, crisis of confidence for what appears appears uh, to be a run on its finances. Uh, deposit at the group uh, Deposits at the group dropped by more than $8 billion dollars in the fourth quarter to just 3.8 billion so it's dropped uh, double the current remaining assets uh, or thereabout silvergate silvergate counted ftx of course uh, among its clients the bank laid off 40% of its staff earlier this week it also abandoned plans to launch a blockchain based 
payment system. Uh, as a result, Silvergate is writing off its purchase of DM assets. That's the failed stablecoin project from Meta, originally known as Libra. Coindesk further reports that Kathy Wood's ARK Invest sold 400,000 shares of Silvergate on Thursday. Uh, you know, obviously, uh, when when Kathy Wood is selling your shares, it's not a good sign. She's been very bullish uh, on the space, very bullish, of course, on uh, on Coinbase, among others. Uh, also, Moody has cut Silvergate's long-term deposit rating from BAA2 to BA1. That's a cut to junk. Uh, boy, Jim, uh, that's uh, that's quite a that's quite an array of stories. Yeah, it definitely is. The, the stock, it's, you know, it's all reflected in the stock. It's basically done a two-for-one split without the extra shares. That's how much it's fallen in the last two days. But again, why is this happening? Because the centralized crypto world is the worst of possible worlds. It is, it is centralized without regulation. If you're going to be centralized, you need to be heavily regulated. If you're going to be dis decentralized, you can go with Coda's law as your form of regulation. And without all of the regulation, without all of the reporting and transparency, we don't know what other liabilities Silvergate has. So I'm not going to wait. Give me my money back. And that's exactly what we've seen happening with the run on the bank. There's no, there's no reporting that they could do to stop this. Look, at least in the TradFi world, if somebody has a run on the bank because they're worried about outstanding liabilities, the regulators will tell you A owes them this, B owes them this, C owes them this. Here are the documents that show it. You see what everything is. You can't do that here because we don't have regulators. We just have a bunch of people that say, trust me, in an industry where they it began in May with steady lads report uh, deploying more capital and everything that um, and that uh, is a Doquan reference to the uh, Terra blockchain when it was falling. And we've been told everything is OK, steady lads, and it never is. And so that's why there's a crisis of confidence in this in this space, especially in the centralized space. And it is going to be hard, really hard to get out from underneath it, which is why I said earlier, the reaction to everybody is, oh, I'm not, if I'm in a centralized exchange, if I'm still on a centralized exchange on January 6, 2023, I got to look around and go, I'm not here because I think Bitcoin's going to go to 30K or I'm not here because I think there's going to be a great trading opportunity. I'm going to leave is what I'm going to do. If you were here because you thought Bitcoin was going to go to 30K, you're probably on your own wallet right now. Uh, but those people have largely migrated already. There's not a whole lot more left to migrate. But Jim, let me ask you this. Why have the prices of Bitcoin, Ethereum, some of the other large cap coins here in the digital asset space effectively remained anesthetized, zombified as all this has happened. You know, obviously you and I are both enthusiastic about the space. It's why we do what we do and why we focus on it so much. Uh, but there's also this sense uh, of what's happening with price. I mean, I, I there's this feeling that I sometimes get in this space. We talked about this idea of the, the worst of all possible worlds in terms of uh, currently unregulated and currently centralized, that those two things just don't very well work together as we have ample evidence now to suggest. Uh, but sometimes when you see these things that are teetering on the edge, these very large centralized firms, and of course, we don't know what's going to happen. I just get this feeling that it's like the moment when the brakes lock in your car and you're just sliding. And we don't really know whether or not the space is going to hit a truck uh, or it's going to somehow manage to safely skitter into the shoulder. But this is a moment when we talk about these contagion effects where we have to at least wonder about it, 
worry about it perhaps and ask these kind of these searching questions because being incredibly optimistic about the long-term perspective on what's going to happen in this space in one, three, five years does not necessarily mean that you're tactically bullish uh, on the price action in the space. You know, to me, that remains very much an open question. I completely agree. The problem is, is, is what was what was the word that we used to describe the bull market through May? Uh, excuse me, November of twenty one, and the word was adoption, and that was we saw more no coiners. We saw more trad five firms, and I used to joke with you during that period that you know that they that they were getting into the space, and it was no more complicated than they opened up. Um, uh, a Coinbase institutional account and they bought Bitcoin. All right, well, that's new money coming into the space. That's new money being committed to the space right now. There is no new money being committed to the space. Um, no financial firm, no TradFi firm is going to commit money to this space right now. And I'll tell you why. If you commit money to the space at 16,800 and you open an institutional, Coinbase institutional account, and you put in you're a fiduciary running other people's money and you put them and you buy bitcoin at 16,800 today January 6, 2023 and it's trading 15 or 14,000 in a few months not down a lot but it's trading 15 14,000 in a few months there's something wrong with you there is something seriously wrong with you and we're going to have to question whether or not you can remain our fiduciary no one wants that career risk because right. the rise there's something wrong with you cuz it's so Effing obvious, you should not have done that. And now you've down 20% because you're at 14,000 or something like that, or you're down 15%. And you did that anyway. There's something wrong with it. No one is committing money to that. The, the retail that wants to buy the dip, they did at 35,000. However, they did at 25,000 and they made their last chunk jaunt into it at 20,000. There is no retail waiting for 10,000 to basically connect their Citibank account to the Coinbase account and start buying Bitcoin. They're already 40% underwater. There's no new money coming into the space. And this is the problem. Now, is there a way out of this? I think there is. I think one is time. We're going to have to base time will get us through all of this. When we stop being the police blotter and we can get back to talking about devs and building and protocols and new ideas and stuff, as opposed to talking about what lawyers talk about. But that's going to take time. The other thing I think, and this is my guess, what's going to be the power, if adoption was the word for uh, the uh, last bull market, what's going to be the word for the next bull market? I'll give you an acronym, RWA, which is real world assets, that we're going to have to connect real world assets with uh, the blockchain, and maybe that starts in a in a um, in a regulated way that you could trade stocks, you could trade bonds, you could trade digital representations of real world assets on the blockchain, and then maybe we can get it out into the decentralized world. You can lend it on Aave, you can swap it on Uniswap, or something uh, a, a token that represents real world assets. That mm. I think might be the next move. There's going to be, there's a lot, there's a number of hurdles that we have to go through before we get to that point. But I think, but behind the scenes, I know there's a lot of developers really working hard to move into that direction. And I think they should, and I think they will, because one of the hopes is 
the whole idea of the blockchain and the whole idea of exchanging value via uh, blocks on a blockchain is looking like it's it's more efficient and it's cheaper in the long run when you've got the scale. And that's where we're going to need to be moving. So gone are the days of creating another uh, token or another coin that inherently has no value that represents something of no value. And maybe here we're going to start making tokens that represent a 10-year treasury or the S&P 500 or a piece of real estate. And you could swap those back and forth. And in that case, there is an inherent value to those tokens. You don't have to worry about them going to zero because if they're done correctly and there isn't a bridge attack or anything like that, uh, could my could my digital S&P 500 blow up? Well, only to the point that it blows up to where the S&P is trading. If it wants to trade like uh, the Grayscale Trust way through it, there's an easy arbitrage to take care of that or to make up that that difference, yeah. which is why Grayscale is trying to become an ETF to do that. But in a digital world, you can, you can arbitrage that. Right. That's where I think we need to go. But unfortunately, RWA, Real World Assets, is a great idea. A lot of people working at it. It ain't coming out next week. It's yeah. coming. It's coming. And that's what I think will be the, 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 the buzzword for the next bull market whenever it really gets underway. Well, Jim, you know, obviously none of us have a crystal ball, but that's extremely persuasively said. I want to talk here a little bit about two points uh, on the regulated uh, side, or at least the uh, the CFI side. Uh, I should say, one case regulated, one case not. I just want to point out here, as we talk about as we talk about Coinbase, uh, currently down on a trailing twelve month basis, eighty six percent on that stock. Kathy Wood, obviously, still long as the uh, news stories come out on that. But I also want to talk about something else on the CFI side, which is what something we alluded to earlier, uh, which is what's happening over uh, at on the Celsius case. Uh, the New York Attorney General has filed a civil lawsuit against former Celsius CEO Alex Mashinsky. Letitia James has accused Mashinsky of defrauding investors out of billions of dollars. Quote, Alex Mashinsky lied to people about the risks of inventing Celsius, uh, excuse me, of investing in Celsius, hid its deteriorating financial conditions, and failed to register in New York. Strong words obviously from the Office of Attorney General uh, here in the state of New York. Uh, this is not the only Celsius-related development this week. We obviously also had that highly consequential court ruling we reported on yesterday's show. A judge uh, saying that funds deposited in Celsius's interest-bearing accounts, this is the interest-bearing side, not the wallet side, now belong to the bankruptcy estate, not to the users, Jim. Yeah, I think that that news is devastating because what they're basically saying and I know it doesn't apply everywhere, but you know the tip of the iceberg has been exposed. Let's talk about what it means to invest in a uh, centralized exchange. I give you my money as the centralized exchange. It is no longer my money. It is now your money. And I hope you will give it back to me with interest or with a capital gain if the price goes up or even as a loss if the price goes down. But if you run into trouble, I never see it again. That's one of the reasons why I think that the centralized, like I said, the worst of all worlds, if you want to be centralized, you have to be regulated. If you want to not be regulated, you have to be decentralized. Centralized exchanges with no regulation. One of the things we're finding is if you've got your money on a centralized exchange, you don't have money anymore. It's their money. It's their money. In fact, I would even go you one step further. In, in the TradFi world, if you put your money in the bank 
you know, and I've, I've, I've given this in presentations before, everybody listening to me and you, Rash, and me, all our net worths are zero. You know, what, what it is is that my money is in a financial, in a TradFi financial institution. It's their money. They have ledgers and they have promises and they have regulators that will force them to honor my commitment to them to, to give me back their money to the extent that I gave it to them. Uh, that works because of that coercion of regulators. You don't have that in these centralized exchanges. And so this ruling is basically, again, why would anybody keep any money on a centralized exchange? Even though you might say it was narrowly defined, yeah, well, the, the, the tip of the iceberg's been, or the nose of the camel's under the tent, whatever metaphor you want to use, and this is going to start to worry people. Remember what I said before about being a fiduciary? If you bought Bitcoin at this point, you know, and, and it goes down, and it's on you. If you're a fiduciary and you have your money in a centralized exchange and it runs into trouble and all of a sudden a bankruptcy court after January 6, 2023 or January 5th to be exact, because that was the day of the ruling, a bankruptcy court rules it's no longer your money. You are now just a creditor in the bankruptcy. It's the, it's the um, organization's money. There's something wrong with you. You should have known that you have, were at risk and you elected to ignore that risk. And that's, that really makes people run for the hills. And that's where I think we are right now. The, the good news is I think a lot of the money is already gone. That's one of the reasons why prices are not being depressed. The bad news is there isn't going to be any TradFi money that's going to be degening into this space anytime soon. Oh, yeah, there might be, there might be some millennial retail accounts that want to degen in. Uh, but even those accounts, I mean, they, like I said, they've already done it and they've lost. There isn't a lot of millennials that are sitting around with a big pile of money waiting for that moment to get into crypto. They did it 50,000 um, down from 70, thinking that they were geniuses. And now they're sitting at 16,000 on Bitcoin. Yeah. Jim, questions streaming in fast and thick. Uh, please remember to subscribe to our channel if you're not already subscribed. Uh, that way you'll never miss the smartest crypto analysis. Uh, Jim, these questions, uh, this is, this is I think, the highest number of questions I've ever seen come in. Uh, so a lot to go through here. Um, so let's, uh, let's pick a good one to start with. Here's a great one from Paul E. from the Real Vision website. Uh, Paul obviously signed up uh, for our free crypto uh, content on the website itself. Uh, so we need time before we see another bull market. How long before those hurdles are overcome? Any forecasts? Break out the crystal ball, oh, Jim. Uh, 24, maybe late 24, if you want a price. Uh, what you need to have happen, Let me. that's a time frame. Uh, but I think what you need to have happen is all the news is out. All the news is known. We're no longer talking about who's in bankruptcy and who's who's got exposure to who and who's got a liability against what and what other secret that we didn't know. All of it's known. All of it's out there. And then, therefore, there's no other shoes to drop. They've all dropped. I think that takes a year to year and a half. Then you need some kind of a way to bring new money into the space. Uh, I think that's real world assets. I think that that's going to be people are, will come in and start playing in the space in tokens that represent value in the real world, uh, probably on the regulated side, at least initially, maybe we could move it out into the DeFi side. So it's going to take some time. But if I'm wrong, the question you've got to ask yourself is, what set of circumstances 
is going to get traditional fiduciary money. Remember the word was adoption. It's going to get traditional fiduciary money to say, we got to get in. They did. They've lost. Who's left to get in? Is it going to be a big pop in the price from 16000 to 30000 in February? That's not going to do it. It's just going to underscore, if, if, if that even happened in the first place, that would just underscore the speculative gambling nature of this space and right. that they don't understand it. Why would I jump into this space? They'll, they'll need to be sure that there's no more secrets, there's no more bombs coming, there's no more bankruptcies coming, and then we need a narrative, and I think the narrative will be real-world assets, and there will be another bull market. Jim, we got a lot of questions I want to get to here. They're really uh, tremendous demand for uh, your insight here today. But I want to ask you just a very quick question. Uh, maybe we could do a quick speed round here to get these questions in. But let's start off with very quickly define what real world assets mean. Are these essentially tokenized securities? I think that these could be tokenized securities. These could be tokenized ETFs. These can be, you know, if you have a, let's start with the basics. If you have a brokerage account, you own a share of something in a brokerage account. It could be an ownership in a company, a stock. It could be an ownership in a fund, an ETF. It could be an ownership in real world assets, like if you own a REIT, a real estate investment trust, which is backed by property. And so what you do is you take those that idea that a share represents real world value, and you then make a tokenized version of it. And look, a lot of people are basically talking about doing this up and down the line from ETF companies like Wisdom Tree to Morgan Stanley to Fidelity. They're all talking about doing this. They're all talking about the idea of making real world assets so I can buy. So someday on your Coinbase account, if you're still in the TradFi world or when you connect to Uniswap, just thinking you know, several steps down the road, You'd have the ability to buy Bitcoin. You'd have the ability to buy Ethereum. You'd also have the ability to buy the S&P 500 or a stock or a REIT or an ETF in that form as well, too. Now, why would you do it in that form? Why would they do it in that form? Because instant settlement, cheaper execution costs than you have in the TradFi world. It's not there now. You know, the, the merge is done and we still need to get the surge and the verge and all these other steps to try and you know, increase the capabilities of at least the Ethereum blockchain and some of the other commit, uh, other blockchains as well. But that's where I think you start to merge the world. Then you answer the question that a lot of TradFi people have, where's the value? Where's the value? What do I own when I own Bitcoin or what do I own Ethereum? Uh, and at least at this point, it's a bridge. Like I said, it might come in through a regulated centralized world. That's fine. But at least get it there. And then we could start talking about pushing it out into a decentralized world as well. And then that's how you start to bring, you know, bridge the two systems instead of them being somewhat separate. Yeah. Hey, everyone, we're going to take another quick break and hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back to the Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. 
Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Jim, let's do a quick speed round here. Just a couple of quick, because I know there's so many people out there who have questions for you. If we could just get a, some quick answers to these, uh, that'd be great. Uh, here's one that comes to us from Vincent R. Uh, asking on the Real Vision website. Boy, this is a good cynical question from Vincent. Uh, the DCG grayscale genesis story is unfortunately another piece of evidence the U.S. is not willing to adopt the crypto space and will furthermore cause more outflows of companies to go offshore. Is it in line with the Fed's policy to crush the economy? Uh, come to think of it, do you agree? Um... I agree with the first part that the the TradFi world is not quite ready to embrace decentralized finance, stable coins, and the crypto world in general, and that's because it represents a competitive threat. And now that I've said that, the J.P. Morgan's and Goldman Sachs's do not have to call the Treasury and the SEC and the Fed and tell them, "Hey, this represents a threat. Kill it." Those people that work at the Treasury, the SEC, and the Fed say, oh, my God, I'm going to lose my job because there's, if this stuff works, I will kill it. I don't need any instructions from Jamie Dimon to do it. Um, is it part of the idea that the Fed wants to crush a speculation or crush the economy to reduce inflation? No, I don't think any of them have ever thought that even at a $3 trillion value, that, that the, this space was going to move the needle on inflation or GDP, if that's what the question was. Look, I mean, you know, Amazon, Tesla, Apple alone have lost more money than, than this entire space has lost right now. So that's really where they're thinking about trying to create a reverse wealth effect to sap demand to bring down inflation. So no, I don't think there was an, an, an exactly a a thought that, that they had to stick it to crypto. They were using crypto as an example of excess speculation. And now that it's down, they know that they've been reining it in. I know this is a speed run. I'll have to give you faster answers. <laughs> I just want to get to as many of these questions as I can, because they're, as usual, incredibly insightful questions from our viewers here on Rovision Crypto Daily Briefing. That's why they're watching us. Uh, here's one that comes to us from YouTube from Eric G. Uh, do we see major regulatory changes this year, and how does DeFi play out this year in a possible low volatility year? Another DeFi summer. What do you think? Yeah, um, we're going to see some kind of a regulatory uh, change right now. Um, it, what it's going to be and how it's going to be Look, we can't even get a speaker of the house yet, so we, we got to. It'll it'll take a it'll take some while, but there's going to be some kind of a regulatory movement, I think, um, in the space. Um, how does this play out with DeFi? I think that initially it plays out with DeFi volumes go down and DeFi interest kind of wanes. DeFi needs what what made DeFi work. What made DeFi summer work was new money came into the space. Where's the new money coming from? Again. Like I said, if I am the head of a pension plan and I decide to put my money into a MetaMask or Argent wallet and connect to Uniswap and buy some uh, Bitcoin and it goes to 14,000 and I've lost 20%, I'm gonna be fired. I'm going to be fired. Why, why would you be fired? Because I'm gonna be viewed as being irresponsible. That's the problem you have to overface. Uh, and so even if they want to move across, so even if they want to, excuse me, jump ahead over CFI and go straight to DeFi, 
They're not going to do it. They're not going to do it because the, the, the whole idea of being a fiduciary is going to be called into, into question. It's going to take some time and it's going to take a narrative to get the money back. So DeFi will be there. DeFi will continue. Uh, you know, but as far as expanding interest in DeFi, I just don't see where the big dollars, the big new money is going to come from. It's already there right now. Jim, are you suggesting that crypto doesn't solve the 12 votes uh, failure in the House to get a speaker? Crypto doesn't solve it. TradFi doesn't solve it. Democracy doesn't solve it. I don't know what does solve it as well. Remember, Ash, uh, 133 votes in uh, 1855 was the record. So we got a ways to go. So we might be at this for a while. <laughs> uh, here's a question that comes to us from one of our pro Discord uh, members from Double A. Are the majority of altcoins going to be deemed securities? The security slash commodity debate seems to be what is occupying my mind. The Bitcoin versus crypto argument being made by many BTC maxis. Really interesting question there. BTC maxis. Um, don't get me started on that. Uh, they, they, they. If, if BTC maxis get what they want, they're going to have $1,000 on Bitcoin. You better not hope that they wind up chasing all of the altcoins out of the space by regulating them as securities. Because what you're going to do is you're going to chase money out of Bitcoin. Is what you, you, know, you, cannot, you cannot burn everything down and then say, see, I'm the best house in the neighborhood because I'm the only one left standing. No, you're, you're in a crappy neighborhood now is what you're in. And that's what the maxis have to wind up doing. And good luck with your argument that Bitcoin is not crypto. Um, that is almost a laughable argument to start with. You can make it all you want and all you've gotten out of that argument is another 20% down in Bitcoin's price. Um, no, I, uh, as far as to your direct question, will they be declared securities? I think it's a lot harder now with the uh, House being Republican um, and assuming we get past this speaker stuff, uh, it is going to be a lot more difficult. And I think the Loomis Gillibrand bill is going to, this is my take, is going to get more adoption that, you know, we're going to have securities, we're going to have commodities, and then we're going to have this third thing called digital assets that they're going to probably try and define them as something different. Look, the SEC wants to define them as securities because it expands the power of the SEC. What do you think Gary Gensler wants to do right now? He wants to say all the altcoins are all the altcoins are securities. And, oh, Congress, I need you to give me another 200% of my budget so I can hire another 1,500 or 2,000 more SEC regulators to regulate all this stuff. That's all that is. That's my cynical take on what that is. But I think ultimately they're going to be pushing more towards uh, Gillibrand Loomis and maybe looking at making this a third category called digital assets. Yeah, I'm looking right now at uh, the uh, Senate website for uh, Elizabeth Warren, uh, who, quote, called out crypto's use by terrorists, ransomware gangs, drug dealers, and rogue states to launder funds. Not a lot of love there from crypto from Senator Warren. Boy, she really, she did for, she forgot the Mexican cartels at that point, but she pretty much hit all of the, uh, uh, you know, the murderous row of, of bad actors. But look, the she's been against crypto from day one. Uh, she is uninterested in crypto. She is interested, and again, my cynical take, she is on the Senate Banking Committee. She is interested in keeping all the money in the banks, telling everybody that Jamie Dimon is the evil incarnate 
and then getting gazillions of dollars of campaign contributions from the financial services committee to from financial services firms in order to you know keep them off their back. That's the game that she's playing. I don't think she's very she's I don't find her to be very credible or genuine in her call. I think it's just cynical politics is what I see from her. I'm not going to touch that one. Uh, here's my favorite question. That's my call, not yours. <laughs> <laughs> I, here's my favorite question uh, today uh, to close this one out. This one comes to us from Twinson.eth. Uh, and this is to you, Jim. Why are you in the blockchain space? For making more fiat, for ownership of wealth, or for some other reason? I've been in the blockchain space and I have been, I came in through DeFi is, is where I started with. When I saw DeFi, I said, this is the future of finance. This is where we're going to go. And I still believe that to this day. Uh, I was never in this space because I thought coins were going to go to the moon. I've been gone out of my way to never pump a coin, to never say some coin is going to go up in price or to buy a coin or anything like that. I still believe ultimately the ease, the cost, the ability to control your own assets, ownership, of, of what decentralized finance is trying to bring to the space is worthwhile. And that's why I've been a big fan and advocate of the crypto space. Uh, Ash, I just finished reading a book last month, The Price of Time by Ed Chancellor. And it's a history of interest rates and it's a history of TradFi. And he points out that at the beginning of civilization several thousand years ago, we actually invented banking and lending first. We invented those first. And one of the reasons why to this day we still use agricultural terms like yield to describe interest rates hmm. is because we used to do banking and we used to do uh, interest rates on um, on agricultural items. I give you a cow to, borrow, to use, you give me back the cow and a calf, and the calf is the interest rate. That became unwieldy. So we invented money and medium of exchange to make this banking and interest rate easier. Crypto did it backwards. They invented money first, Bitcoin and then Ethereum, and then they invented DeFi second. And I think that that's probably the genesis of a lot of the problems. We should have invented DeFi in 2009. And then we said, look, we're inventing a new way to exchange value, to lend value, to borrow value. Now we need a medium of, of being able hmm. to do that. We should be inventing the tokens. That's the way we did it several thousand years ago as we started to create civilization. And it seemed to work, but we did it backwards here in the crypto space. And I think this is one of the reasons why we're running into trouble is that even at the end of the day, if you're Bitcoin maxi, you need a way to exchange, host and exchange value in Bitcoin. And it ain't Coinbase and it ain't JP Morgan. And you know, you've got to find a way to do that. You need a decentralized way to exchange lend, borrow against that value as well. Um, you know, Lightning Network is not enough to do it that way. Uh, that might be, the, that might help some of the exchange, but you need more than that. And so mm. that's where I think that the space ran into trouble was we created the coins first, we created DeFi second. And that's why I think real world assets is going to be the answer to that because then it puts at the center the, the new financial system. And that applies to NFTs, that applies to the coins as well, that you have a way to exchange the value, borrow against the value, realize the value, lend out the value. That's essentially what banking is. And that's essentially what this parallel system needs. 
And once that becomes more developed, I think then the system can uh, develop itself on its own. That's what I saw in DeFi. And that's what I saw in, in building out a new system. The problem is it got overrun by too much degenning in, in all of these tokens. And now we're seeing the backside of that. And we're going to have to continue through this winter. But there will be another spring and there will be another summer. I'm just not here to tell you that I think it's going to be in 23. I hope I'm wrong. And it is in 23. But I'm trying to be realistic and saying there will be another spring and summer. It might just be a little bit longer than we think. Fascinating, Jim. We get to end on that philosophical question. Uh, by the way, I think in November of 2021, you could have easily done like a $300 million raise on calf coin. You personally, yeah. Jim. Yes, uh, I could have done Jim coin uh, at, at that point. But no, you're right. And and that that was the problem at that point back in that era because people were doing all these raises and raising all this money because the price was going to go up. And that's usually not a good sign. Yeah, and not a good motivation. Uh, Jim, final thoughts, key takeaways here. We've obviously covered a lot of ground. What do you want to leave the audience with here today? Uh, don't give up hope in this space, uh, but be realistic that, you know, it's going to take some time. Um, usually it in in the winters is when all of the good projects come. Look, where did, you know, going to the Ethereum network, you know, where did all the, the bedrock protocols of Uniswap and Aave and Curve um, and, and MakerDAO, and where did they really develop? They developed out of the, out of the winter that came in 2018, 2019. Uh, I think that right now there are real good projects that will be the bedrock of the next summer being built right now. That is going to be, they, we might not know who they are, uh, and, uh, but we will find out over time who they are and they will become the next building blocks of the next summer that we're going to see in this space. So this is the time that all the good stuff comes. Because look at look at DeFi right now, right? What are the, Of all those major protocols that I, I talked about, where did they start? They started at the, at the worst of the last bear market. And they are now the bedrock of what we've got left. And so the worst of this uh, winter is where we're going to be building the stuff that's going to lead us into the next summer. Very well said, Jim. My my final thoughts here is uh, I'd agree with that statement. I think it's very elegantly said. Uh, don't give up hope, but be realistic. I'm frankly a little bit concerned. I don't talk about price on this show. I'm not a I'm not a technical analyst. I'm not a chartist. Uh, but it is a little weird to me that we've seen essentially uh, crypto prices, particularly Bitcoin and Ethereum, and then everything on uh, down on the top 25 coins. Uh, the price action has been a bit benumbed lately. It's been anesthetized. It's been zombified, uh, despite what certainly appears to be increasing risk in the space. Now, increasing risk does not necessarily mean we're going to have a, a catastrophic failure or a problem of any kind. Uh, but it does seem to me, uh, certainly, that we have uh, this, frankly, just rising risk. And it is just that. We don't know, uh, as you'd mentioned earlier, uh, what's the next shoe to drop? What's the next domino to fall? Is there going to be a next shoe to drop? Is there going to be a next domino to fall in this cycle? Uh, it's very much an open question. But I would say, um, you know, focus on where the risks are right now, because there are some risks in the space. And uh, as you said, Jim, be realistic about the uh, the current context framework and and position of where we are today. Yeah, one last thought on that is that the realized volatility in Bitcoin and Ethereum in the last month or so has been, I'm, I'm talking about one month realized volatility, has been lower than what we've seen in, in TLT, which is long bond ETF and the S&P 500. 
that the S&P 500 and Treasury securities have actually on certain days ex exhibited more volatility than we've seen in cryptocurrencies. And unfortunately, I think they're going to see more of that going forward, that relative volatility might be lower in crypto than in the TradFi world before we start to see us start to emerge out of it. <laughs> Jim, there's good news and bad news. The good news is uh, that volatility has declined dramatically. The bad news is you're 75% off the highs. Right, right. Well, the good news is volatility has declined, and the bad news is volatility has declined. Is kind of where the problem is because if you're expecting, if you're expecting an explosion out of this, out of this doldrum, yeah, you'll get it someday. I just not sure it's coming right away. I think you'll get it at some point, but you know, again, I'm, I'm worried, or at least I'm mentally prepared for. It. That's a 24 story, maybe late 23. I'd like it to be the first half of 23. I'd love to be wrong on that, but uh, that's the way I'm thinking about it. Jim, it's such a pleasure to have you on the show, man. I really enjoy having you on the crypto side. This is a blast. We got to do this more often. Thank you. Uh, that's it for the show today. If you're not a subscriber yet, don't forget Real Vision Crypto is free. Head to realvision.com forward slash crypto. That's realvision.com forward slash crypto. For those of you watching on YouTube, remember to subscribe and hit the notification bell. You can stay up to date with all the latest crypto analysis. Join us again next week. We'll have live guests from Deloitte, Abra, and the Chamber of Digital Commerce, among others. Uh, Jim, always a pleasure to have you here. Really, we do have to do this more often. We got to make a date of it, man. Sure thing. Talk to you a little soon. Thanks for joining us. See you Monday at noon Eastern, 5 p.m. London, live on Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. Thanks for watching, everybody. Have a great weekend.